Praise the Lord. Good morning, everybody. I want to um, continue from where we left off last week. There's a, there's a PowerPoint there, I think, on the desktop called Go Beyond. Um, I want to continue from where we left off last week, looking at how we can pursue our calling in life. Every person, if you remember, what we discovered was that when Timothy was discouraged in his own life, about whether he was called or whether he could even fulfill a calling, if he was, Paul wrote back to him and said, don't you realize that we're all called? And if I can be personal, one of the saddest things that I encounter in my life, folks, is you. (laughs) One of the saddest things that goes on for year after year is that I know that God calls and people don't answer. I know that there's a multitude of reasons why. I know there's not enough soldiers in this army. Amen. Amen. There's not enough soldiers in God's army. Many, 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 all are called. I hope you're listening this morning. All are called, and, but few people bring themselves to the place where they are selected or ready or ruthless enough, I guess, to to enter in at any level of significance. And it's a very, 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 very sad thing. Last week, what was the topic? Thank you, John. (laughs) Comparison. That one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the principal reasons why people do not pursue God, do not pursue their calling, is comparison. Now, I could say it a thousand times, and people still don't get it. They still don't get it. I don't think I'm any different from Gideon or Jeremiah or Joshua. I think I'm the same. And the fact of the matter was, whenever the call went forward to Gideon, for example, what was the first word out of his mouth? Yeah, um, but just prior to that. My family. My mom is like this, and so I'm going to be like this. My dad is like this, and so I'm going to be like this. The fr- Gideon could not perceive a life different from his ancestors. That was the problem. And whether we realize it or not, we end up repeating the cycle. Now, in my case, it works because my father was a good man of God. And so it's a good thing for me. I was raised very well by him. So that cycle, I can repeat. But whether we realize it or not, I can say it a thousand times. And people still don't get it. We end up repeating the cycle when it's a negative one. Are you with me? The Bible's not wrong. I'm wrong. The Bible's not wrong. I can't hear. I can't hear God's word and I get caught up like everybody else out there. And thus I miss my calling. And this is a sad thing. So, last week we saw that comparison is one of the principal biblical reasons given by God. Whether we accept it or not, it is one of the principal reasons why people do not become the person that God made them to be. Okay? Next slide, please. Today, I want to go beyond that and look at further reasons. What are other reasons, other blockages in my life that stop me? Stop me today. Stop me right now. And what are the blockages that have stopped you? And I want to put before you folks that one of those blockages is (laughs) the way we perceive the Christian life. That that, that we, we have a cozy perspective of how someone who is right with God, what they look like. Someone who's walking with God, you know, we we have an idea in our mind of what blessing is. 
Who was the most blessed woman who ever lived? You're really doing poorly with these questions, guys. Mary, mother of Jesus. So, what a blessing to have your son stripped, whipped, and dragged through the city center. What a blessing to have to stand at the foot of the cross and watch your child. What a blessing. What an outstanding blessing. Mary was the most blessed woman who's ever walked the face of this planet. Now we need to understand what blessing is, don't we? When God says you're blessed, not the prosperity preachers, but when God says you're blessed, what does that mean, Mary? Explain it to me, Mary, so that I actually embrace the blessing of God. And don't reject it based on some worldly image of what a Christian is. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Which God am I serving? Which God am I serving? What, it, what mental picture have I got? Because this is a calling stopping problem. The, because, you know, oh, when you hear some of the excuses people give for not entering ministry or for not even, you know, advancing in their ministry, being knocked back so easily, so quickly. I had a good friend called Steve, we used to share a flat together, and he always wanted to run, he didn't like spending money on petrol. And so his car, the needle in his car, was always right on empty. And I used to say to him, that's a bad policy, Steve. You wreck your engine, you know. And, but he didn't want to buy petrol. And that thing was always chug, 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 like, just make it to the petrol station. Steve, that's not a good policy. You act, if you do that, you actually end up completely destroying the whole car. And then it's finished. Then you're not going anywhere. And Christians can have the same aspect, the same perspective when it comes to life. It costs to fill up with God. It's costly to fill up. And we need to be willing to pay whatever that price is in order to sustain this walk that God has called us all onto. Today's message is going to be a little bit sporadic, forgive me, but I'll end up somewhere if, if, if you stick with me. It's not an easy point or points to make, but they do come to a concert in the end, so please hang in there. I want to talk about how, how burnout, the difference between being burnt out as a Christian, because I know many of you are, and the difference between that and being a living sacrifice, because the two things are very close. Very, very close. Okay? I'll give you an example. From years and years ago, many years ago, but 20 odd years ago, I was in Singapore and I was absolutely exhausted. They had worked me to the bone. I was finished. I was tired. It was the end of the day. You know, I was worn out, burned out. I wanted to go home and relax. And there was another meeting to go to. And I remember that, oh, come on, no, not another meeting. I'm burnt out already. And I kind of slapped myself, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go to the meeting. And I dragged myself along to that place. I went beyond my natural strength. I went beyond my natural ability, and I just dragged in, and I sat down in the middle of the meeting. And the meeting started. And guess what happened? The heavens opened and an anointing fell in that room on my head. And I began to prophesy out of the blue. I wasn't expecting it. 
Jesus, I could have missed that. I could have said, I'm too tired, Lord. I could have had an image in my mind of what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who's never tired, never stretched, never stressed. And I could have thought that night, because I'm so tired, I shouldn't go to this meeting. I should go home and rest. And I would have been absolutely wrong. Completely wrong. And it would have been based on an idea in my head that would actually be preventing me from experiencing more of God. Are you with me? And I'm telling you folks, we we have all grown up in a culture that can push us this way. And I thank God for Singapore. I thank God for VFC. Because you you will not get that attitude there. You will not get that attitude there. When you're down and you're exhausted, what do they say? Get up! Get up! Shake yourself down and get moving. I don't need someone to appease me when I'm down. I need encouragement to get up. Right? You know, don't go the way of the world. This slide, yeah. Burnout, whether we like it or not, it affects every one of us. And it will do at different stages of your life. And it will do in different areas of your life. Burnout can affect the rich. The poor, the young, the old, students, mums, dads, singles, marrieds. In every part of your life, it is very, very easy when you give and you don't receive back. It's very easy to run out of steam. To run out of steam within your marriage, to run out of steam within studies or whatever thing. And my point is, folks, I hope you're listening. There is a place beyond. There is a place beyond your natural energy. There's a place beyond your natural ability that exists. And that's where calling is. Many, many are called, but few get beyond into that place. That, you know, it's a dream for most. But there is a place that exists that we can get to. But getting to it, it's a bit like the yellow brick road. (laughs) Getting to it is not the journey that we thought. Getting to it is a difficult journey. It's, an, it's not a pretty journey. It's a horrible journey very often. It can, it can include a whole mixture of things. If you take a look at the life of Jesus Christ, take a look at this list here. For, I mean, before we do that, what is your image of someone? Picture someone who's walking in the Spirit and full of the Holy Spirit. Picture them in your mind. What do they look like? Someone who's walking in the Spirit... Totally in the will of God, what do they look like? Well, this is a picture of the life of Jesus. I hope you'll agree with me. He never left the Spirit, right? He was in the Spirit from day one to the end. Number one, you can be walking in the Spirit if you're having a quiet time, serving at home, as a housewife, silent ministry. You can be absolutely correct. Amen? Absolutely amen. 100% amen. That can be what someone who's in the center of God's will looks like. Hallelujah. (laughs) I wish some of our members knew that. Trying to make everybody like you, you know, it's no good. Leave them alone. Secondly, Jesus entered a, a period of public service where he had huge support from everybody. Right? He was very popular, remember? That lasted two and a half years or whatever. But some people get stuck at that point. They think when they see someone on TV and they have thousands, oh, this person must be with God. Not must, but could. Just because someone has a massive support in the world 
doesn't necessarily mean they're right with God, friends. Right? But it could. In Jesus' case, it did. But then things changed. Look at the change. Then he became under a huge pressure, but he's still right with God. Still in the right place. He got betrayed and he got rejected. But when someone reaches the rejection point, many will reject them. Now they've gone wrong. He didn't go wrong. He didn't go wrong. He was still had the approval of God. It's just he didn't have the approval of men. And Jesus is pursuing his calling and he's not backing off. You understand me? We will never get anywhere until we accept the whole package. Until we accept the whole deal. Number four, stress, exhaustion and bloodshed. Oh, Lord. I can't remember where I heard it. Somebody said Jesus was never stressed. Heaven help us. Jesus was never stressed. What are you talking about? He was sweating blood. Stressed. The man was beaten to a pulp. He was, he was brutalized. Never mind stressed. What are you thinking? What, could, what kind of mindset has the, has the idea, as a Christian, I should never be stressed? That's just crazy, okay? There's huge pressure in certain aspects of Christian ministry if we end up in that particular scenario. And we must accept it. Point five, public beating, humiliation, and murder. So where's the support now? They're all gone. Everybody's gone. It wasn't what they believed. Even the twelve. Even the twelve when he was on the cross. How many were left? Zero. Because this cannot be. This cannot be someone who's right with God. Surely the Lord has left this man. And we will leave him too. And Jesus had to know very well what it was to be in the spirit and stay there. And by the way, point six, his vindication is yet to come. He doesn't need it from you. He's got it from his father. So I I just want you to see something that vexes me and has done for years when I see people. One lady, one lady in Ireland, lovely, lovely, lovely lady, really dependable. She was a prayer Uh, and she came in one, one morning. She was very upset. I could see she'd been crying and she said, I want to talk to you. I sat down with her and she was weeping and she said, I've got a problem with my son. I looked at her, I thought, it must be terrible, you know. I said, what's wrong? And she said, I can't stop him. I've tried everything, I can't stop him. What's he doing? He's getting up at five o'clock and he's praying. Right? He's exhausted, Pastor Mike. He's exhausted. He has to go to work at seven. And then he comes home and what's straight into his Bible. Will you talk to him? He's worn out. And I, 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 I listened to that woman and she was totally sincere. She was, from point three down, she had no comprehension. Because her son was pushing some limits that she had never done, for her, the boy had gone wrong. And she didn't like my answer. In fact, I remember she ended very abruptly. Because I said, I know the advice I have for you. Why don't you get up and join him? She didn't like that. She thought, I've gone to the wrong person. No, you've gone to absolutely the right person. You've gone to the right person. You just don't want the answer. Right? My answer is correct. You are wrong. Your perspective, your idea, your image of what it takes to grow as a Christian and receive any calling is not there. And maybe his is there. And maybe he's doing something that you should have done years ago. 
So don't stop the boy. Encourage the boy. Amen? Where does calling? We are all called. But how on earth do we get there? We get there by pulling down these things, these blockages that, that stop us, whether it's comparing ourselves with others, or whether it's an idea that I'm never going to suffer, I'm never going to have to go through the second part of what Jesus went through, of life being turned upside down for him. I'm, ne- I'm, you know, I'm never going to go through that. Well, that's not realistic. It's not biblical. Ask Paul. Ask Paul what life is like five times whipped, you know? Jesus, do you know when Paul was whipped? Remember what they said in Corinth? See, we told you he's not an apostle. That's what they said. And Paul wrote back to them, because of my sufferings, you say that God is not with me, and he's trying to get them to change their perspective. He's a pastor, and he's trying to pull them forward. He's trying to give them something, but they can't receive it. They're unable. God help us. When I listen to people, I wonder if they read the Bible. You know that? I know they listen to sermons, but I wonder if they read the Bible. And people often accuse me of being blunt. Well, I tell you what, you're not reading your Bible then, because I know someone who's a lot more blunt than me. Jesus Christ is much more blunt than me. Much more. Much more radical than I have ever been. He says things that you would get stoned for. Right? He says really, really extreme things. But, you know, we sweeten them up and put them in messages surrounded by goodies. That's what we do. And he never did that. He's truthful. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So how do I get then? I want you... I don't care what age you are. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. God can take 20 minutes and turn the world upside down through you. But I want you to to be able to enter into that. You need to go beyond what you've ever done. You need to do something that you've never done before in order to break through. The reason we get stuck is because we're not doing that. We're just going around and around in circles and never breaking through to the next level, to the place where that... Life is, that's, you know, life in all its fullness, as Jesus called it, although that may take many forms. Best example I've ever heard in my life was from John Bevere, and it's a true story. John Bevere was in New York, and he was in a gym, and lo and behold, the, one of the world-leading weightlifters came in, and he knew him, he recognized him, and said, oh, look, there's so-and-so. And this famous guy walks in, and John Bevere didn't disturb him. He, the, the, the weightlifter had his personal trainer with him, and he just observed, I'm going to watch him work out and see what he does. And to John Bevere's shock, the trainer went and sat down and read the newspaper while the world champion began his workout. And he watched, 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 and he waited. And the guy's, you know, he's getting to the sports pages, you know. He's sitting there. And uh, Bevere said this, when the world champion was unable to lift anything, when he was totally and utterly depleted, the trainer shut the paper, looked, put the paper down, walked over, and took his place. Right, now, lift it up. You understand? How do you get into that world championship? 
And Bevere couldn't resist it. He ended up going over to the guy and said, excuse me, sir, I couldn't help but notice. You waited until he was completely finished before you did anything. And the trainer said, sir, he has to do something he's never done before. That's weightlifting. That's how he grows. He needs to push through. That's how he grows. That's what I'm here for. He doesn't need me here. Jesus. Oh, there's a word there, all right. (laughs) Oh, yes. I just hope you can hear it. Why is the Holy Spirit not in my life? I cry for the Holy Spirit to be with me. He never seems to come because you're in the wrong place. Use up your own energy. Get into the place where you need him and he'll be there. Are you with me? Dilly-dallying around in cozy corners where where God's not involved. Use up your own energy. Break some boundaries. Push forward and he will be there. You will need him. Right? Cracking example. Excellent example. But it requires me to change my perspective and, be, and to be willing to, 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 to break through new ground, new levels of sacrifice. And that's not popular. Certainly not popular in our church culture. Next slide, please. We've looked at these three things. Sorry, the duty service sacrifice there somewhere. The three, the three levels. Did I not put that in? Uh-huh. Oh, in the past, you've heard me talk about the three levels at which people, you operate and I operate, whether we're aware of it or not. The first is our duties, right? We all, we're Christians. We have duties. You pay your tithes. You come to church. You do whatever. Duties, okay? The, the next level up is my service. My service is my gifting. Everybody here is gifted. That gift is not yours. It belongs to the church. The church's gift. And they say when and how and how often it's used, not you. Duty, my service, and then the highest level is sacrifice, when I actually make a sacrifice. Now, duty is not sacrifice. Service is not sacrifice, right? Sacrifice is sacrifice. And the problem with the modern day church is we call everything a sacrifice. Everything is not a sacrifice. The Bible talks about three very specific areas in which you operate. Okay? Coming to church is not a sacrifice. Right? Being at prayer meeting is not a sacrifice. Shall I say that again? Being in the church prayer meeting is not a sacrifice. You're not a hero. You're just normal. You're just doing your duty. It's not even service. And I'll tell you something else, just in terms of worship. Let me just take worship. This is a great worship team at the moment, and we're very, very grateful for them. Amen? Amen. Absolutely fantastic. And there is sacrifice going on here. I, I... Accept that and acknowledge it. But just to give you an example, I saw I get copied in with the emails. Mervyn, sorry, I shouldn't say this in public, but you know me. <laughs> I get copied in some of the emails. And I just saw this word start to pop in, pop up. It's the wrong word. Volunteer. Where, where did that come from? Volunteer. Who volunteer? Oh, it's not a charity shop. Worship's not a charity shop. Your ministry is not a charity shop. I saw that word volunteer. If you're not careful, if you think you're volunteering for worship, maybe you will, maybe you won't. You know what I mean? Do you understand? That word's the wrong word. That, that's a cheap word. I'm not a volunteer to do this. I'm highly privileged to do my ministry. So I'm, I'm not a volunteer. God help us. If you can, you know, God, Jesus, would you show us the, the reality of this? Last week, remember, we talked about honor and privilege, right? And honor 
it's something I get for something I do. When I've done something, people will honor you for it. But a privilege is when you haven't done anything. Is worship an honor or a privilege? It's a privilege, friend. It is a total and utter privilege. And you've got to get the right idea in your mind about your service. Are you with me? I've had many people, whether it's the cleaning team, the evangelism team, the the ushers, and they come to church, they think you're doing me a favor. You're not doing me a favor. You're not doing God a favor. So I don't know what you're thinking. You're just doing your duty. And if you happen to be given some public gift, then you're completing your service, which is an acceptable act before God. That's all you're doing. But that mean beyond that, because that's just, the, that's just the starting place. That's just the beginning. In your duties and in your service, I want you to push through to places you've never been. I want you to do things you've never done before. And I promise you this, there you will find God. There you will find God in a way that you have not yet found Him. He will be there once you have exhausted yourself. I repeat, Christians think because they're tired, they must be out of the will of God. Right or wrong? Totally and utterly wrong. I can't do that because I'll be tired. I can't do this because, you know, this uh, just crazy thinking, and this is a ministry-stopping problem. That's what it is. It's a calling-preventing problem. It stops people getting to the place where they should be and where God is and where they become everything God intended them to be. Just a simple little thing like being tired or being overstretched, as we would call it. Well, Jesus conquered all of those misconceptions. Do you know, one day, I wasn't saved long. I don't know why. I never bought into that lie. You know, I never did. Even as a young believer, I never bought into it. My, my church was a Baptist church, and they were okay. Uh, but I didn't buy into their culture either. I just read the scripture, and I could see there's more to this. Man, there's more to this. There's more to this than that. And I was very tired and, you know, going full pelt. And many people said to me, slow down, don't do this, don't do that, stop this stuff. And to be honest, I didn't listen to anyone. I just had my Bible. That's what I've got at this point in life. I've got my Bible, and I'll, I'll stick with this for the moment. And one day, I was very, 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 very tired, very worn out, with no encouragement around me because the people didn't understand. It was a traditional church. They didn't get it. I don't blame them. I didn't judge them then, and I don't judge them now. But I remember being in another prayer meeting, and sitting there, exhausted, and I sent up, uh, you know, when you ask the right question, you get an answer. If you ask God the right question, he answers. You ask him the wrong question, you don't get an answer. And I said to God, I'm really, really tired. And I shouldn't probably do this. But I'm going to open my Bible. And I'm going to put my finger down, and I'm going to read a verse. Do me a privilege, (laughs) a favor. Let the verse be what I need right now, because I'm tired. And I opened my Bible to Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. Look at this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. It's Paul talking about how he serves. And he says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Has anybody got NIV? NIV? Okay, I can quote it to you from NIV. Do you know what Paul says? I labor 
in all his energy, not Paul's energy. Do you understand? Paul said, I labor in all God's energy, not my own energy. And the Apostle Paul, without a shadow of a doubt, had got himself to a place where it was the energy of God that was working powerfully in him. Amen? Amen. Folks, listen to me. Please listen to me. Look at me. If you keep on running out of energy, whose energy is it? It's yours. If you, you know, if there's a line there, look at me, listen to me. I promise you this is what's happening in your life. You're running up to the touch line, to the finish line, and just before you get to the place God wants you to be, you turn back because you're too tired. Over and over again, you get to that point where the Holy Spirit's just around the corner, but you have believed the wrong thing, and you just turn back. Almost, but not quite. Almost, but not quite. You with me? And he's always there. Many are called, but few cross that finish line. God help us. Lord, get us over the line. And that energy, this energy does not run out. His energy can sustain in all circumstances, all situations, the energy that God gives will sustain us. But the energy that we have, well, (laughs) it's just going to wear out and you'll wear yourself out and you'll be burned out in a worldly sense, not any other sense. Okay? So I want you to get to that place. I want you to consider it and I want you to think of your life thus far. It is never too late. Today, last Sunday, I said if one person in this place would surrender their lives to Jesus, if one person came to me today, that's enough for me. I'd be delighted with that. (laughs) Guess how many people came to me? (laughs) One. Yeah. One. One. So what's your perspective of the Christian life? My perspective, my take on things, is that I must deplete my own energy. I must serve to a sacrificial point. And when I get there, I will receive a new anointing that will sustain me permanently and see me get through anything that comes up. But if I continue with a wonky perspective that everything for a Christian is rosy, there's never any problems, I'm never going to do that. I had a vision once of the 12 apostles following Jesus into the Garden of Gethsemane. It's just a little picture in my mind. And I saw them all so happy. Judas thought he was going to get power. Peter thought they were going to do this. James thought they were. There was something in it for everybody. One for everybody in the audience, you know. And then they got into the Garden of Gethsemane. And all of a sudden, they realize that the Roman troops are on the way. And that he is going to be crucified. And there isn't anything in it for them. How many remained? Zero. There's nothing in it for me. I'm out of here. And actually, their commitment at that point, they all changed. But at that point, their commitment to service was like this. Lord, we've got a deal going on here. You bless my stuff. You protect my life and you give me my dreams and I serve the kingdom. It was a subliminal thing. But as soon as they realized, you're going to be crucified, you're going to be murdered, you're going to be, they were gone. 
As soon as there was nothing in it for them, they were all gone. And they had, to their credit, they had to go away and think about it. They had to let that just, you know, percolate through them. And then one by one, they said, no, I'm going back. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. One by one, they all went back and realized the error of their ways and said, we should have followed him for nothing selfish. Not that there was anything in it for us, but actually serving Jesus for his glory and for his sake. And nothing else. No hidden agenda. I'm very interested. You know my story. You know my life at the moment is a very difficult life. Very difficult life, shall we say, with an understatement. It's incredibly difficult. It's beyond belief. Um, And I've come a long way. It's one year now since my wife was committed to care. And that year has seen her just completely go downhill so much. It's It's a crucifixion to watch. That's what it is. It's a long, slow crucifixion. In the beginning, I was suffering. Remember, I said, well, I was the one suffering, not Jeanette. That was easy. But now Jeanette is the one suffering. That's terrible. I don't care suffering, but I cannot abide watching her suffer. That is just beyond my ability. It's beyond my ability. I don't have that. I don't have that in the natural self. I don't have it in myself. I've had it in myself sometimes along this road, but I've come a long way in a year. And I've, I've, you know, it's a bumpy road. It's a rocky road. It's like a bucking horse. You've got to stay on. But by the grace of God, I feel his strength. Not mine. His strength. But to get over that line, friends, is an incredibly difficult thing to do. You've actually got more energy and more go in you than you think. You know, as human beings, we can go a long way. A long way for a long time and still not be right, you know. Uh, and then, so I definitely believe I've crossed a line and have his strength, his energy in me. How do we walk in the spirit? How do we walk in the spirit all of our lives increasingly in the anointing of God, in the power of God, so much so that we're actually impacting the world in which we live? On your notes, halfway down. Did I type that up? The differences? No, I didn't. <laughs> the differences between burnout and living sacrifice. I want you to read this. Let me get into the light here. Look at what burnout is. Burnout is a negative term used to describe individuals who have driven themselves to exhaustion and now have nothing left to give. Burnout. What's a living sacrifice? It's a person who is a living sacrifice can display all the same outward symptoms of burnout. But inwardly, the mind and the emotions are completely different. Are you with me? So just because someone's exhausted, just because someone's being crucified on the road, you've got to discern why. You've got to discern the wherewithal of what's going on in your life. Otherwise, the apostles would never have finished the race, would they? They had to understand that there was problems involved. They had to get that peace or they never would have entered their calling. Look at the difference here. We've looked at this list in the past, but at the moment in my life, this is a very interesting list. Because I, I, I need to be able to stick on the right side here. Right? Burnout. A person who's burned out, they're full of fear. If your marriage is burned out, you're full of fear about that marriage. Fear about the relationship. Whereas a person who's a living sacrifice, you will have the courage to stick it out. Okay? A person who's burned out, and you've got the runaway feeling. I just want to get out of here. Can't handle it. No strength to cope with it. Runaway feelings. Whereas when you're a living sacrifice, 
The endurance comes through, man. God help us. The endurance comes through. <laughs> yeah. Person who's burned out, no faith. It's one of the biggest things, I tell you, when faith is missing in people. It's a sad old sight. It's a sad sight. Where's your faith, guys? Where's your faith? Where are you at with that? You, you, you really, you, you, you know, you, you worry me sometimes. Well, how many months ago? April? No, February. February, I stood here and I looked at you. And I said to you, in January 2016, I'm going to run the 10K in Hong Kong. Remember? Every single one of you looked and said, no, no, no. Every one of you. I remember it. There wasn't a little ounce of faith in this place. Yesterday I ran 10K. Amen. Six months ahead of schedule. Where's your faith? To do something you've never done before. To believe it. To state it. To stand here today and say, do you know what? Years ago God called me to ministry and I didn't do it. But to stand up and say, I am going to do it. I am going to do it. And something changes. Something changes in the atmosphere when you make a confession, a bold confession that seems ridiculous, and you stick with it. All of a sudden, you're going to find a different anointing upon you, my friend. Are you willing? Well, we got one last week. Praise the Lord. And we'll get two this week. Someone who will step forward and say, I was called, he did talk to me, and I haven't pursued it. Lack of faith. Okay? Lack of faith. Not believing that God will use you. <laughs> Elijah was a man just like us, as the scripture says. Low self-esteem. People who are burned out, they don't think anything of themselves. That's a bad place to be. Whereas when you're a living sacrifice, there's an inner joy, an inner witness that keeps you going. Your identity is in Christ, like we saw last week. A person with burnout, they get depressed, whereas there's a feeling of well-being when Christ is in you. Loss of appetite, I haven't got that one, hallelujah. <laughs> Burnout, loss of appetite is a major problem, whereas you eat, and I'll come to it in a moment. It's, it's an ironic thing, but God told Elijah to eat. Uh, and you become very cynical. It, 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 that's the worst place in the world to be. You know Tesco's do a bag for life? Have you seen the bag for life? Yeah. I was in a shop the other day, and they had a bag, and printed on it was a bag for what's left of your life. <laughs> I thought that was great. That's a cynical person who had that bag, right? <laughs> Cynicism is a, is, a, is a terrible place to end up because you can't teach people anything. You can't guide them. You can't encourage them. They've just written life off. They've written themselves off. And that is not good. That is not good. I tell you what, folks. <laughs> In my walk, which is 25 years now, full time, I have been one bumpy road. One bumpy Rocky road at times, but I never lost faith. Not in me, in him. I tell you this, he is the author and finisher of this work. The person who started it will also finish it. He will bring this thing to an end, no matter what that end may be. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that you're the architect and you are able. And today, I don't care how bumpy your road has been. It doesn't matter. I want you to reassess your 
present, reassess your future, and get ready for it. Eyes forward, look at me. This world is winding up. I think we can all concur with that one, right? The last, since the blood moon started, I have never seen the news like it is. It's earthquake, disaster, plane crash, famine, war. It is endless. C.S. Lewis would call it God's megaphone. He can't talk any louder. So every time you read the newspaper, there's another major attention-grabbing problem to try and tell you that life is brief. But a vapor. And to try and get you to reassess your commitment levels, sacrifice levels, and your general direction in life. And I believe that if anyone pushes through to that place, God will be so willing and so ready to take you. But we don't. We back off. I repeat, my take on you, my belief about you, listen to me, my belief about you is you constantly come almost to the point of breakthrough and then you back off. Because it's too painful. It's too sore. My last year has been too painful for me. It's too much to cope with. Right? It's not possible. I don't think it's possible. So I had to get to a place where all things are possible. You with me? All things are possible here. Beyond. Beyond human. Beyond natural. Beyond your own ability. So you don't have to sit there and think, I can't do it. Because you're right, you can't. (laughs) But there is a God who can. And your job is to get yourself into the place where he lives. Where he is. And reside there. And then we make some impact on this world. My fear is, when you listen to pray, people pray, etc. My fear is that we've raised up a generation, listen carefully, in terms of warfare and fighting the devil and learning how to cross this line, we've raised up a generation that can throw fantastic punches, but you can blow them over. They can't take a punch. They can only pray out loud. They can shout the house down. They can give those punches. But they can't take a single thing. And any boxer who's training someone to box, put their hands up. And in the, in the beginning, could I go back to the list of the life of Jesus? In the beginning, the list at the beginning, just before that. Thank you. When you train a boxer, in the beginning, that trainer will put the hands up. And, the, you know, the one who's being trained will punch. They're not getting hit. But you don't go on like that, do you? You're not going to be much of a boxer. Everything's okay in that part of the training. But guess what? The training moves on. And now the trainer starts to actually punch the, the person who's being trained, right? And he needs to learn to take some pain and still stand. He needs to learn to push over that boundary. And my fear is, just like Elijah who was a mighty, mighty man of God, defeated the prophets of Baal, and then one sentence from Jezebel, and Elijah was down. Remember? One little thing, and he was finished. The person who thought he was so strong was actually defeated with a sentence, with a little message. And that, I believe, is a very good picture of the end times church. A church that is very convinced on point one and two, but unable to cope with the likely persecution that is coming upon the nations, and indeed this nation. And we not only need to raise ourselves up for this, but we need to raise the youth club up for this. I was preaching about it in Singapore recently because I saw the agenda for the youth 
I saw their agenda and I didn't like it. I, um, I preached on it on the Sunday. We need to be teaching our kids about what's coming up in the future <laughs> because we may not be here and they're going to face enormous problems. We need to teach them how to stand their ground just like our forefathers did in terrible times, right? And you know, kids are wonderful. They, they hate hypocrisy and they love the truth. And when you tell them the truth, they accept it, right? They like it. They think, well, that's true. At least that's true. And when we tell them the reality of this closing of days and end of times, they, they hopefully will be a generation that will embrace that and, and stand their ground in both giving punches and taking them. The last slide there, please. The, the, the list of things that God told Elijah to do is quite remarkable. It's quite astonishing. I mean, if you saw a man, a Christian man, who was totally exhausted, you'd probably tell him to pray. <laughs> you know? Well, actually, look, 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 look at what God said to him. He, he, he'd led his diet. His diet was awful. The food he was eating was junk, if you can imagine that, right? God says to him, get up and eat. Just a simple, physical, physical little thing. How is your diet? Simple thing. Simple thing. And we toss it aside. We ignore it. But it can affect your psyche. can affect everything about you. You are what you... Yeah, literally. The atoms in your body are made up of the food you put in your mouth, friend. This is, changes about every seven years, right? So I, I, I literally am what I eat. But it's more than that. God put him on a good diet, and I think that is more important than we think. He told him to hydrate, get up and drink. And that's important. That keeps your brain functioning, right? He told him to sleep. Not in the meeting, praise the Lord. <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 the number of Christians who, who do not even obey simple little principles like that. I had a word with one guy again in Singapore because he'd fallen asleep in the meeting. And I took him aside. I said, brother, that's not right. He said, well, I, I you know, on, on, on the phone, on Skype, I said, I don't care. You need to be prepared for the day's work we've got ahead. You, you didn't go to bed. Get some discipline. Get to sleep. Sleep and get up and work, right? You need to sleep. God gave practical, simple truths. And the last one's the most important one. He gave him God-given relationships. And I'll tell you this. Look at me and listen, friends. When you're here, you'll have plenty of company, <laughs> plenty of people who are also tired and not going to the prayer meeting. You'll have plenty of people who will agree with you and commiserate with you, and they're as miserable as you are. But when you get to that line, there's actually not that many people over there. Not that many people there. They've all bought into the lie. And when you get over this line, you need some good people. You need some God-given People, you need, are you listening to me? You need to be wiser about your friends. You need to be wiser about your friends and the people who speak into your life. Are you with me? Are you with me? Be, you need to be determined to get across that line and then you need to be determined to stay there. And that's going to involve in your life a selection process, not just of your priorities in life, but then of the company you keep. And you need to be very careful of that selection. I don't, what was, oh yeah, I was with Stefan and Stella on Monday night. We were talking about, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, four seasons. That's a good example. I travel a lot. And I go into a lot of good hotels, right? But I, 
Rick said this recently. He said, if a, if a there's loads of multimillionaires in Singapore. If a multimillionaire comes to him and says, Pastor Rick, for the rest of your life, you're going to travel business class. I'm paying. Who would take that? You'd all take it. <laughs> Rick says he wouldn't take it. He wouldn't, and he's sincere. He's genuine. I'm not taking it. And you know why? He said, I'll travel economy like I always do. Because if I take it, it's going to start affecting my mentality. I'm going to get in a big seat. And they're going to serve me like I'm something great. And, it's going to, and when I get off the plane, I'm going to start walking like someone that the rules don't apply to. You with me? Now, I'm not there with air travel because if I got a first class ticket, believe me, I'd take it. <laughs> but I am there with hotels. I've stayed in many, many, many hotels. And th- this is the truth before God and before you. You give me a choice between Premier Inn and, you know, Crown Plaza or whatever. I'll take the Premier because I've been to them all. I don't like the fuss. I can go in with my focus on God and I can come out with a focus on luxury. Are you with me? you with me? It's not worth it. I'm being bought, you know, and I can buy a delusion. I can buy an illusion, which is not real. You can pay for it. That's what they sell you. You see, and, and our conversation in the RMD meeting was, why do people not make it? Points one, two, and three. When they do make it, what pulls them back? Addiction to the high life. They get stuck in the high life. They get a little taste of the high life, and then they're gone. You've lost them. They can fall at the first hurdle. Bad friends, you know. Sorry, this is not milk. This is meat, folks. This is real meat. So don't choke on me. Take it home. Chew it over. Think about it. Only difference between me and you, and it's a big difference, the difference between me and you is this, friends. When, the, when I heard the call, I'll give up everything. I'm having that call. I'm, I'm going for that thing. I'm going to stop at anything, nothing. I'm going there. Ruthless. The kingdom of God belongs to violent men. And only violent men ever lay hold of it. You can't be passive in this game. You just end up going round in circles with the masses over here and never really enjoying the kingdom that you know is there. You know it's there. Many are called. But few Breakthrough. Few. So we sit in the meeting over there. There's about 20 of us and churches all over the world. About that's somewhere 600, 700,000 members globally, right? It's a lot of people, a lot of churches. Guess what the number one problem is every single meeting? Workers. Can't get the pastors. Can't get the workers. Where are they? They're all out there. They're all out there. All of them. They're all out there. They didn't respond. And when the call went out, to the, sorry, I've got to go and bury my father. Sorry, I've got to go and try out this yoke of oxen. Sorry, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Same old, same old, same old. They're all out there. And so Jesus was 100% right. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest for laborers to go into the... Tell them, call them. Call them. And tell them to go. And that's what I do with you this morning. I repeat, 
Elijah is described in the Bible as a man just like us. Right? Just like us. Just an ordinary guy. No special conditions applied to him. Right? An ordinary guy. I love that. So was Abraham. He was an idol worshiper. They're all just ordinary, ordinary people. But ordinary people who responded to a call, to a word, to a time that they lived. And those people are us, folks. Remember, I remind you of this fact. There are two groups of people on the face of the earth who will be judged completely differently from every generation. Not all generations are going to be judged the same. Jesus covered that issue twice. He said it would be more bearable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it would be for those who were alive when he was on the earth and didn't do what he said or didn't follow him. So there's your clue. The first group of people who are going to be treated differently are the people who were alive when Jesus came the first time. And the second group of people who are going to be treated differently are the people who are on the earth when Jesus comes the second time. Because we are in a sea of knowledge, a sea of insight in the world right now. There's never been a day like this when the, 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 the world is bombarded with the prophetic and with insight. You have more insight than your ancestors ever dreamed of having. You know more than they ever dreamed of knowing. You, you, every single one of you. So we're not impoverished to this regard. And Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone lets me in, in this day and this hour, I will come in, eat. <laughs> Do you know what it says about Elijah? When Elijah ate that food, what does it say he did? Really poor questions. Honestly, you haven't got one question. What did he do? Does anybody know just out of interest? No, it's a good answer though. <laughs> he ran for 40 days. That's what he did. He took off and he ran to Beersheba for 40 days. The point is supernatural energy. That was the point. When you take this bread, you won't be hungry again. That's his point. When you drink this drink, this one, it will satisfy. Stop going back and forward and back and forward and go forward. And this morning, I, I want you to make your peace with God. I want you to come back to the table of the Lord and to prepare yourself to, to listen to his voice, to respond to that voice in a way that you've never done before. Okay? I want you to do, please pay attention. I want you to make a commitment to do something you've never done before. I want you to go further than you've ever been before. Let God speak to you right now. In what area? In what way? Let the Lord minister to you. Just close your eyes. Bow your heads. I want God to put his finger on whatever it is in your life that you have gone to that you've gone to that crossing line you've gone to that finishing line and you've turned back God forgive us God forgive us God I thank you that you're so patient so willing like the laborers who were working in the vineyard and you were still there at the 11th hour and you called them and they responded and you hired them right at the last moment you hired them Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you into this room. 
Would you in your grace and mercy come? And would you speak to every person here and show them? Show them their present and their mistakes. And speak faith and speak vision and speak a future into them. Give them faith and give them hope. Give them a vision of how things can be, not how things are. Holy Spirit, breathe on these people your life.